friends. Grateful to have you here today exploring and interacting with another story from Scripture. I encourage you to dig into the passages before, during, or after listening. There's always a link to the passage in the show notes for your convenience. I never want you to take my word for it, but like the Bereans in Acts 17, to dig into the word yourselves, fact-checking and seeing for yourself what is there. The goal always is to take what is there in black and white and paint a picture of what their story could be, imagining what might be going on from their point of view. It's a very special day here on the pod as we welcome our first guest to the show. I am so excited. Rebecca Jones both wrote the script and recorded the audio version of today's podcast. She is a writer, teacher, and leader from Western Nebraska. She spends her time chasing Jesus and her three boys and all their adventures and squeezing in creative pursuits into the margins. As former teen parents, she and her husband are passionate about loving women and families in the midst of unplanned pregnancy and introducing them to the tenderness of Jesus. She leads a local branch of ministry called Embrace Grace, which equips the church to do just that. She's also in the midst of writing a book as well, and today's podcast is an excerpt from her manuscript. It's a true honor to get a preview in this way. She says, As a beloved daughter, cherished and protected by my heavenly and earthly fathers, I didn't really understand how much our identity is shaped just by what we are told and who loves us until I sat in rooms with women who had been used, abused, and neglected and have such a hard time believing Jesus could really love them. This story is for them. Thank you, Rebecca, for lending us your story today. Listen in to the story of the washing woman, the one who used her hair as a towel and her tears as the water. My father woke up every morning and called me a whore. He hated me the same way he hated my mother. Neither of us could please him whatever we did or didn't do. His friends would come into our home and drink too much and put their hands on me. And from the time I was 12, I assumed my father's words were true or men would not handle me in such a way. Soon father made them pay to touch me and use me. And the name he called me became the truth. He loved to shout his horrible names at me after the men left almost as much as he loved to count the money they handed him. In the early days, my mother would weep in the corner until once my father struck her to shut her up. She does not weep anymore. Our family settled into a routine of customers and payments, and as my father's eyes failed, this became the way we paid for food. I found that after time, I could control the men who came and paid for my body. I could make them behave. They liked to feel like they were loved, and then they would be gentle. I began to enjoy the way I could make them do whatever I wanted. Even if they could not meet my eyes, they would always do as they were told. After a time, I convinced my wealthiest men to begin paying me directly. As my father's eyes failed, so did his mind. And as long as my customers gave him a few coins on their way out the door, he was usually too drunk to know any better. The money I kept paid for our food. And until the day he died, the money he got paid for his drink. Rumors began to swirl, first in Cana and then on the trade route, about a man who turned water into wine. I was disgusted. In my experience, wine turned men into beasts. 
Surely this man was just like every other man. The rumors kept coming, healing, speaking to Samaritans, teaching in the synagogues, touching lepers. And then a Nazarene woman came to Capernaum and stirred up the marketplace with the newest rumor. The man claimed to be the Messiah. Messiah? I was at the market when I first heard that Simon the Pharisee would host the Nazarene for dinner in three days' time. His best cook was a heavy, red-faced woman, and she bustled about the stalls, boasting loudly to anyone who would listen about the Nazarene. Though his name prompted much gossip, it was clear this woman didn't think much of him. Many of the vendors agreed with her. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? But I saw the Nazarene with my own eyes at the edge of Capernaum. He was walking the road from the synagogue to the lake, surrounded by a small band of rough-looking men. I had gone to the fish market with my mother, and on our way out, she dropped her coin purse, scattering what little she had on the edge of the road. As we darted through the crowd, trying to gather up the coins, he and one of his disciples stooped to gather a few themselves. I thought they were trying to steal them, and I was determined to get them back, by any means necessary. But his disciples brought the coins to my mother, helping her tuck them back into her bag. Their leader held out a large calloused hand to me with two coins in the center. I held out my upturned hand so that he would not have to touch me. But he took my cupped hand in his large palm and dropped the money in, covering it with his other hand. Daughter, he looked deeply into my eyes as a man had not done in over a decade. He held my hands between his gently. Most everyone here knew what I was, but his eyes did not waver. I defiantly met his gaze, but I found it tender and still. He held my eyes a moment more, searching for something. Then he nodded, seemingly to himself, and set off toward the lake. Daughter? I followed him, and he climbed into a boat and pushed out a little ways from the shore. I shoved my way to the front of the crowd so I could hear him. Many around me recognized me and drew back. Eyebrows raised, the crowd parted for me. This was nothing new. No one wanted to bother to visit the priest to be cleansed after touching me. I was unclean. The Nazarene sat easily in the boat while his fisherman friends dropped an anchor and bustled about the boat. He clasped his hands in front of him and began to speak. His voice, full of confidence and calm, easily carried across the water to where we sat listening on the scrubby hills. My mother tugged at my sleeves, tired after her weekly outing, but I brushed her off. What could a man who called a whore a daughter have to say? Every day this week, I have walked past Simon's courtyard on my way to and from the market. The doors have been thrown open and all the little servant boys are sweeping and beating out rugs. Perhaps I could stand at a distance and see those eyes again or just listen to what else he would say. I have not worked at all this week. Each time a man came to visit, I made excuses. Mother worries we won't have money for food next week, but I can trade some perfume I've set aside if I must. The day of the dinner, the servants set the table in the courtyard. Simon was indeed preparing for a show. Tables were drugged to the center and laid with expensive linens. Couches were drugged around each side of the table and water bowls set by the doors. Slaves washed in the outer courts all afternoon, preparing for the large number of guests arriving soon. 
I returned home and paced the floor. Surely, if Simon or another wealthy Jewish guest recognized me, they would banish me. Perhaps I could go in disguise. I veiled my face and took an alabaster jar of perfume that I'd received in payment from a customer. Perhaps I could bribe a slave and get near enough to hear him. But as I approached Simon's house, the outer courtyard gates were thrown open. There would be no need for me to bribe anyone. Simon loved to be the center of the gossip, and he granted the entire village access to his courtyard. He had done this many times before, usually when a religious leader from Jerusalem was visiting. Simon was proud, but he was a coward. He would never ask the Nazarene straight out if he was the Messiah, but he probably hoped someone else would, and he could just listen. When the Nazarene arrived, he had several friends with him. The men were much in the same condition that they had been on the road to Capernaum. Dust lined the creases around their eyes and coated the tops of their feet in sandals. They proceeded to the bowls of water near the entrances, planning to wash up before the meal, but it was clear that the slaves had been instructed to ignore them. They gestured to the guests behind the Nazarene and his men and refused to make eye contact with the fisherman and the calloused carpenter. One of his companions bristled in offense and muttered terse words under his breath, but the Nazarene stilled him with a slight shake of his head. Jesus of Nazareth, Simon greeted the dust-covered band with his showman's voice and gestured to the table and indicated where they should sit. It was not a place of honor. The Nazarene quietly took his place, reclining at the table, and his feet laid out behind him. His name was Jesus? The courtyard was filling now, pressing me forward. Murmurs and feet shuffled forward as everyone tried to catch a glimpse of the dinner party. The veil was serving its purpose, elbows and knees pressed into my back. No one knew I was the whore. Until they did. A regular customer caught my eye and gasped. Others in the crowd followed his gaze and drew back. Taking advantage, as I often did in public, I moved forward, and I found myself standing directly over the feet of the Nazarene. Simon must have understood the situation, because he smiled smugly from his seat at the head of the table. His thirst for drama would be quenched. His show would be a success. Simon addressed the other dinner guests, and in lofty tones, those seated around the table instantly began debating the law. Jesus just sat back and listened. Then the attention turned to him as Simon asked him a question, and I heard his quiet reply. That same voice echoed in my memory, daughter, and suddenly it was loud and pounding in my ears, and without warning, my eyes burned and tears started flowing down my face. He doesn't really know you, a voice whispered. He doesn't really know what you are, or he would never have called you daughter. Hot shame flooded through me, and I could not stop the tears now. How stupid I had been to think that I could be anyone's daughter. Of course, I was just a whore, and I always would be. I dropped my chin to my chest and tried to wipe my tears, but the jar of perfume was cumbersome. Tears ran out of my eyes and my nose and dripped straight down onto the Nazarene's feet. Horrified, I knelt and apologized again and again. My Lord, my Lord, forgive me. I never meant to dirty your... But my throat closed and I choked back the words. The tears wouldn't stop. Surely any moment his feet would recoil. Surely he would wipe the snot from his skin with the hem of his robe and push me away. 
but he didn't. Hastily, I threw back my veil and used my long hair to wipe the mess from his feet. My body shook with sobs. I was making more of a mess with every moment. But suddenly, I felt his gentle, massive hand resting tenderly on my head. The Nazarene turned from the table and held his hand there, and I froze at his touch, trying to catch my breath. How long had it been since anyone had held their hand on my head? Years and years since I'd been touched with anything but lust or contempt. Daughter. Again, he spoke the word over me with a voice calmer than a quiet water. And I dared to look up and I met his eyes. There was no shock, no disgust in them, just kindness. A warmth flooded through me that I could not explain, and I put my forehead to his feet. I kissed them and wiped them clean again with my hair, and I uncorked the jar of perfume and I began to clean his feet with the oil. I kissed them again. The fragrance filled my nostrils and then the air all around me. Until now, this Nazarene had mostly been ignored. Until now. A murmur ran through the whole dinner party, beginning with those around him and rippling like a wave around the table. Those in the crowd pressed closer, trying to catch a glimpse of the commotion and understand the source of the smell. Simon looked on, at first with shock, and then seemed to come to some sort of conclusion. A smug smile returned to his face. The Nazarene turned from me and spoke. Simon, I have something to tell you. Simon raised his eyebrows and then mockingly raised his glass. Tell me, teacher. Jesus spoke again. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon was caught off guard. He looked around, unsure. I suppose the one who had a bigger debt forgiven, he responded. My tears began again. You have judged correctly, Jesus replied. Then he gestured to me. Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss of greeting, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil even on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then he turned to me again and extended his hand, and I held on to it with all of my strength, and I stood. His eyes were dancing now. Daughter, your sins are forgiven he said. Now the crowd was in an uproar. Conversations flew around the room like wild sparrows, but Jesus just laughed and clasped my hand in his again as he had that day by the road. He raised his voice over the noise and said, your faith has saved you. Go in peace.
What an amazing story of grace upon grace. Jesus was such a radical enthusiast of people in the margins, wasn't he? I love his example of how he loved those written off by others as unlovable. Maybe you've at some point in your life been on the outside of the norm too. Maybe you've felt or even been told you're too far gone, too dirty, too broken, too much, too needy, too fill-in-the-blank for God. This story clearly speaks worth and value to all. If you've still got breath, God's still got purpose. Trust him with your life today. Thank you so much again for being here today, friends. It is such a privilege and honor to be able to speak these stories in this space. May only God's name be glorified and honored through this forever and always. It was a great privilege and joy to collaborate with Rebecca today. You can find her writing and excessive photos of Nebraska sunsets at rebeccajonesweb.wordpress.com and on Instagram at at writeonrebecca underscores between the words and find out more about Embrace Grace on Instagram at embracegraceinc or at embracegrace.com. As always, super thankful for Mackenzie Gordon at Restless Pursuit Creations who created the custom graphics for us today and Ellie Powers who did the intro and exit music for us. If you have ideas about collaborations, either for advertisements or other creatives in your life, writers, performers, musicians, or artists, please let me know. Send, send me a message at Podcast Parables on Instagram or just uh, find me at, at Courtney Lee 2020 on Instagram and be able to enter the conversation about how we could collaborate. Again, I am grateful for those of you who are sharing, subscribing, rating, and reviewing this podcast, not for the glory of podcast parables, but for God's name and God's story to be in the ears of more and more people. Appreciate you today. Hope you have a great week, and we'll see you back here next Friday for another story of podcast parables. This is your host, Courtney Lee, signing off.